Well, good morning and good evening, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome back for another much-anticipated edition of the EPL State of Mind. I am your host, James, and we're finally back to full squad strength with the return of Sean and Kyle. Uh, we're going to go over everything you need in this week's slowdown, although you may find that Sean and I have a bit more pep in our step, no pun intended there, than Kyle in this episode as we go over the miraculous favor that FC Jekyll and Hyde provided the Premier League on Saturday. Before we are off to the EPL State of Mind races, let's get into the news that everyone and their French mothers are talking about, and as always, much, much more. Well, first and foremost, of course, Kyle, welcome back. You were sorely missed. Sean and I uh, going solo for, what, a couple weeks in a row there, and and we were, you know, obviously chopping up a lot of shop, really encouraging stuff about Liverpool and Arsenal, both of us on each kind of team. So welcome back. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, feeling good, in good health. But, you know, <laughs> a little deflated. Um, yeah, it was a tough weekend. Definitely, definitely glad you guys were here last week to hold the fort down. Appreciate you guys doing that. Great job. Episode was electric. But, yeah, I mean, if you could picture like a deflating balloon with that little like squeaky noise, that's kind of my energy right now. So mm. we're going to get through this and hopefully find that energy come halfway through this pod. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that at least one of us out of the three of us will be happy through the remainder of the season, but I'm sure we're all going to have our own balloon deflating moments for sure. But I think one person who's probably let most of the air out of his bag is definitely Roy Hodgson. Steps down as Crystal Palace's manager. This is our first bit of hot news. And as always, I, I like to dub you with this every time we talk about a gaffer, but you are the king of them. Sean, provide us with a little feedback and update on what's going on at Crystal Palace, other than the fact that they're winning right now against Everton on this Monday evening? Well, I think just to put into perspective, you know, Roy Hodgson uh, did collapse during training last Thursday, had to be hospitalized. I think it, the writing was on the wall anyways. They have just two wins in their last 10 matches. Um, and for someone who played at Crystal Palace as a player, you know, back when they rode dinosaurs, um, coached <laughs> for, for the Eagles over 200 times in his career, it, I think it was the right time before it really got ugly. The fans were had kind of come out against him in the last couple of weeks. Um, they've had a difficult season with a lot of injuries to their top players. You know, Elise, uh, Eze have both been in and out of the lineup. Uh, they lost Decore, who was their player of the season last year for to an Achilles injury. Um, he's come out and placed the blame on youngsters like Jeff Srenrock, Saki, and Matthias Frank on multiple occasions. And then I, I think the nail in the coffin was about two weeks ago. They got smoked by Brighton in the, their largest loss to their and 16 rivals since uh, 1956. You, you combine all that together um, with the fact that he's 76 years old and, and now uh, declining in health, it just seemed like the perfect time to move on. Um, something that you and I have talked about is that they needed uh, a project manager, someone who has a long-term vision for the club. And it seems like they've, they've you know nabbed their man. It's Oliver Glasner. He was... Uh, best known for his time at Eintracht Frankfurt, winning the 21-22 Europa League. Basically, very different style of play um, from how Hodgson likes to set up. He's best known for a 3-4-2-1 system with his wingbacks playing a crucial role in the attacking third. Um, for example, Philip Kostic was the the number one guy at, um, at Frankfurt his last year there. He had uh, 14 goal contributions. Uh, or excuse me, 14 assists the first year, nine the second year. Um, so obviously that, those roles, uh, you know, that the wingbacks play is crucial in the attacking third. And you look around at this team, they just don't necessarily have that type of player. I think that's the pretty obvious um, area of where they need to upgrade is that wingback. Uh, certainly will be interesting to see Tyrick Mitchell play higher up the pitch. I think he's more of, a, of an energy player than he is a guy who can pull the strings the way, you know, an Alejandro Grimaldo or um, Angelino, that type of player, you know, wingback, who really likes to bomb forward, get on the ball, and, and be kind of the, the attacking metronome for a team. Um, the way he plays is, is very much counter-attacking style of football. Um, his teams do like to press high up the pitch, um, but, you know, once you get past that press, they do sit deep, and then as soon as they win the ball back, they look to get forward quickly and spring attacks. I think that part of it will certainly be a fit for guys like Eze and Elise, who want to get on the ball and make stuff happen. Uh, but I think, again, you know, in addition to, you know, uh, a wingback who's comfortable in possession, they need more speed throughout the team, um, particularly, you know, to 
present attacking outlets for Eze and Elise. Um, but it's an interesting, you know, fit. He's obviously never managed in the, in the Premier League before. Previous to Frankfurt, he was at um, at Wolfsburg. And then previous to that, he was in the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, so his first time coming to the Prem will be interesting to see, you know, if he sticks with that three-at-the-back style of play, which obviously is not, you know, too popular throughout the league. I, I can't think of too many teams that play with, you know, a back three. Um, but it will certainly be interesting. And I think um, overall he's best known as an attacking manager, and, and that's what's needed at Palace. They are dead last in terms of chance creation, and they average just over a goal a game over the space of the season. So the attacking output is, is the obvious area where, you know, he should come in and help upgrade immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have 28 goals for, 43 goals against. We did mention it last season that their defense was not too much of an issue. I think you nailed it. I mean, I don't know a guy who knows gaffers or coaches better than you, Sean, and, and appreciate that outline there, especially for, for us not knowing too much what will really help the Crystal Palace team because, to be honest with you, when they don't have Elise or Elise, Eze or Elise in the lineup, they don't have anyone, anything right. really of, of any – great prowess so i think this is about as a clean slate as you're gonna get and as we speak uh everton have tied it up one one but uh just more bad news for crystal palace but hey you know during i think the arsenal game when they got slapped uh five nil there as well the fans did have a sign that said no shared vision no direction etc etc so hopefully this will kind of jump start it for them as far as, you know, news that might be outside of the realm of the English Premier League, uh, we did have a massive bomb get dropped upon all of us on Friday. Mbappe did announce to his squad that he will be leaving PSG 100% at the end of the season. So our question here is, will the Mbappe to Real Madrid saga finally come to an end? If you hadn't followed before over the past couple of seasons more particularly with PSG when he does a two-year extension or was redoing his contract with PSG um, within one year left in his contract they did hold negotiation talks with Real Madrid to possibly have some type of transfer fee from Real Madrid to PSG so PSG didn't lose out on his sale that was not determined to be the direction that that Mbappe wanted to go some type of backdoor deal was obvious obviously made with Los Blancos that Mbappe would stay at PSG for one more year, leave his contract as a free agent at the end of it, which obviously aggravated PSG's higher-ups for a while. Uh, but Mbappe doing semi the right thing, although he doesn't owe PSG anything. Um, he did uh, opt out to his, I think it was either between 80 or $90 million uh, loyalty bonus that because he was with PSG for either over five years or four years, whatever the number of years was that he would get automatically from PSG. He waived that so that PSG did not see as large of a hit as they would have if he left for free. With that being said, with them going to, with Mbappe going to Los Blancos, there's got to be some type of movement there within their salary cap. You know, right now, Real Madrid's current average salary per week is $250,000. They have 12 players above that mark, and five of those players are above $430,000. Just as a frame of reference, Arsenal, I think, have two players above the 250000 mark. I think Liverpool just have Salah and Van Dijk above that mark, and then I think it's De Bruyne, Holland, and maybe one or two other players on Man City. So Real Madrid salary cap is massive. Uh, they do have two key players coming to an end of their contract in the summer, which I believe will see an end to Tony Cruz and Modric, uh, as they are two of the five players above the $430,000 mark. Both their contracts come to an end this summer, and uh, that kind of clears up, I think, that salary cap space that we're anticipating Mbappe to kind of fill. At the original proposal, when Mbappe was in conversations with Madrid, we, you know, or anyone really, you don't expect the salary to be less than the eighty. $800,000 a week because Mbappe, and hold on to your chairs here, is currently making $1,500,000 a week at wow. PSG, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, and because of kind of the jerk jerking around that Mbappe did to Real Madrid over the past couple of transfer windows, he's going to take a quite a big hit of that salary as well as their annual salary rate, which just came out today that we're possibly looking at a 15 million to 20 million 
annual salary for the next five years at Real Madrid for Mbappe. Um, before today and before, you know, kind of the end of the week, there has been a bit of hum around where the other possibilities for Mbappe could be. And really, the only other one would have been City, but they would have had to offload Holland. So it would be interesting to see what you think about that, Kyle. Holland is currently at $473,000 a week. Would you choose Mbappe or Holland? I would I would stick with Holland. Uh, you know, there's something known as loyalty. He's he's at City. He's been performing for City. Don't fix what ain't broke. I, there's a scenario in my mind where he leaves and Mbappe, who hasn't played in the Premier League, shows up and is just not that guy. And Holland has proven that he can thrive and set records in the Premier League. So I don't I don't see any reason to take that risk. That's fair. That's fair. I, I always love the if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of spiel. So it would be interesting. And, you know, I think Holland as the center target man kind of fits the bill a little bit more for 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 Man City's playing style. Obviously, Mbappe is a guy who's the fastest one on the pitch, wants to be able to run with the ball a little bit more, would need a little bit more of a pacier and less possession based system that Man City would essentially runs. You know, it's not entertaining as as Sean and I like to dub those games a little bit more. Yeah, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is Mbappe, you know, in his contract that PSG gave him years ago, it included the fact that he gets like full say of with the training programs, like the youth programs, all that stuff. He has a lot going on at PSG that has nothing to do with playing and getting paid. So, you know, he's going to leave. I wonder if they have clauses in that contract about like, all right, if you leave, you can no longer ever have a say. Or if they didn't include that, is he going to be playing for Madrid while still you know, judging the youth at PSG, making decisions on their behalf, stuff like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I think PSG owes Mbappe more than Mbappe owes PSG. I mean, he's he's been loyal for to a fault, essentially, which which is what we're seeing in a result of this season. But he also, you know, realizes that he's the guy and he wants to play. This is another thing. He wants to play in the Olympics. So no matter where he's going, he's going, he wrote into the clause that he's going to go away for the Olympics, play for France, because the Summer Olympics is in France this year. So he wants to be involved with that, um, which will delay his return to domestic, you know, preseason. But I don't think Real Madrid will care. And Real Madrid is just going to be fucking nasty. I mean, they're always nasty, but they lost Kareem Benzema. So there has been a striker sized hole in their attack for a little bit. And Mbappe, I think, is going to do one better. So definitely be on the lookout for any European challenges coming from Spain. And it's going to, essentially, I can see now a, a, a recreation of the dynasty that's Real Madrid, winning the league this year, winning it next year, winning the next year, winning the next year, and then also taking the Champions League uh, back into their rightful hands, unfortunately. So I think um, I was sitting at the counter with my mom last night you know, when the news broke and I think she thought that like a family member or a close friend had passed away because my reaction to that news <laughs> was probably a little over the top. But hell, we all have to we have to dream a little bit here. But dreaming about trophies and cup ties and whatnot, uh, we get to look at to what essentially has really kicked off a really intense EPL state of mind title race. And with our weekend wrap-up, it's Manchester City 1, Chelsea 1 at the uh, empty hat. I like that one every time I see it, Sean, because it is. it was a little bit louder than, I would say, like the Barnaby Circus. I think it was, you know, a fair amount of people Watch there. It. But it's just not a fight. I always, like, how do you get excited about Manchester City? But, hey, what do you think, Kyle? Chelsea become the first team to take points off Man City in both fixtures since Brentford beat City home and away last season. Something Brentford, we all hope they did this year, but they didn't. So, what do you what do you think of the game? First initial thoughts, you know, obviously yeah, sure. we mentioned them as Jacqueline Hyde. You never know what Chelsea team is going to show up, but I think this one was at least for the first 70, 60 minutes was relatively impressive. Yeah. Fun game to watch. Highly suggest you guys watch it. Ended one to one moving on. Rams is Holand. We'll get into some. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Yeah. No, it was a really fun game though. Uh, definitely watch it. If you didn't, the highlights, it was very back and forth. This was you know, City making the chances. De Bruyne put the ball on a plate. We had a lot of great play from Foden in this game. What it really came down to was Erling Holland not being able to hit the back of the net. That man must have had by himself two XGs to his name. And that's I truly think that's not exaggerating. He must have I think it was one point one point five eight actually looks right before he hopped on. Yeah. So yeah. I mean he 
this is a player who scored hat tricks on less than one XG. So <laughs> it's it's a bad Fair. look. And, you know, to do it at home, you got the fans. Uh, me specifically, he didn't score in the Champions League game during the week. You know, I threw a fiver on him to get a goal. Why not? I, I was shocked. You would think that he'd come back with a little bit of vengeance in him. But this was this was just a lack of finishing. Really, really, really poor finishing on his part all game. Um, other than that, you know, they, they did claw back. Rodri had that goal in the, I think it was like the 68th, something like that. But to let up that goal to Sterling. 83rd 83rd, minute. yeah, even worse. But like, yeah, dude, you, to you, let you up really that goal. You really jerked this around for longer than you had, had hoped. Yeah, that was a abysmal goal defensively to let up. I mean, you, you let him play around with the ball in the box. You don't do that. And on top of that, I mean, it was a 2v1. You shouldn't be in that position anyways playing pet ball. You had everyone playing up way too high on the pitch, and they countered, they countered real well. You know, I was praying to the gods when I saw that ball go to the middle that it was Nico Jackson, but unfortunately it was Raheem Sterling. So he knows how yep. to finish. Simple as that. Um, I think this is a little bit of a bummer for Man City going forward. It was a little bit of a motivation killer, or I don't want to say motivation, but like momentum killer. This was, yep. this was a big, big draw at home. We needed the points. This is a team that you should be taking points off of. And, you know, City had looked kind of not themselves for a couple months in the last few months. And KDB comes back. They start getting on the right horse again. This is this is a step in the wrong direction, clearly. So we're going to have to see what they do. I mean, this is a fully, fully healthy team. There should be no excuses to tying Chelsea at home. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, with that, you you still have one game in hand. You're four points behind Liverpool and two points behind Arsenal, again, with that game in hand. But um, Liverpool have their fate in their hands now. So I'm interested to see what you think about this game, Sean, and, and what were your kind of key momentum swings or, or players to go throughout the 90 minutes. Absolutely. So I think um, first and foremost, you have to give Chelsea a lot of credit. Um, like you you kind of talked about a little bit. Um, that first half hour, or excuse me, first hour, of that game, they were really lethal on the counter, created a lot of chances. Um, Nico Jackson did play that great final ball to Sterling for the goal, but I think overall that was the only thing that was missing from that Chelsea performance through the early part of the game. Um, and then it did seem to change a bit once Cole Palmer was subbed off around around the 60-minute mark, just that they had less control of the game. And, and from that point onwards, it felt inevitable that City were going to score. I thought City was going to win the game, particularly yeah. when they had, you know, whatever, I guess it was 10 minutes total between stoppage time um, and the remainder of the game after Rodri scored. Um, but they didn't. You know, obviously, like like Kyle said, Holland not taking his chances. He missed three big chances in this game. He's now top of the, the Premier League table and big chances missed. So that's really the difference in preventing City from, uh, from taking all three points. But um, I also think you got to give a lot of credit to the back line of Chelsea. Colwell, Dezassi, and Gusto all, for me, were, you know, the three most impressive Chelsea players. Absolutely, 100% agreed. And I can't agree more with that last 15, 20 minutes of that match. Just so everyone knows, the second half of that game, second half only, Manchester City registered 17 shots. It was just an onslaught over the top, through the sides, going down the wings. I mean, it was nonstop. And it, when you have something like that, it happened in the Champions League final. When Rodri is able to sit on top of the box like that and you're just pouring opportunities and he gets the ball at his feet nine times out of ten, he's going to put it away. Took a little bit of a deflection, but I think it was going in the back of the net anyway. And listen, never has to be pretty. It's just got to go in the fucking back of the net. And um, and that killed, I think, I would say 19 out of 20 teams' hopes and dreams a little bit more than what it would have if it lasted another 10 minutes or so. But huge shout-out to that back line for Chelsea. Definitely was great. I think um, if this Chelsea team is the one that shows up, which I doubt it will consistently for the remainder of the season, you have something a little bit to look forward to, maybe get into that eight-ball eight, eight ball spot, something like that. So if you're Chelsea, listen, you, you have a project out in front of you. It will only depend on whether or not your finances are now able to survive without European football possibly next season. So I guess we'll see what kind of ramifications come from that. But um, moving on from there... Because this this kind of really does, like I said before, 
create a three horse race. It's the EPL state of mind race. Liverpool, I think, have the easiest of the of the three remaining schedules, but Arsenal's isn't too bad. And I think Man City's technically based off of averages is the hardest. So it's going to be quite a remainder of the season, that is for sure. But the weekend had some additional shout outs and we're going to go through our rapid kicks which is our express acknowledgements to close games great plays bonehead moves yada 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 or just straight up heart as kyle likes to say it. and we got a little bit of everything for everyone this week and i think the first one we have to do is he's a young gun he's one of the terrific toddlers from manchester united and that's rasmus hoylan so kyle talk about this red devil the terrific toddlers i love that all right uh, he's great. Man, just Holland is great. He, he he's finally finding himself there at United. He's 21 years old, and he's he's worth a lot of money. He came with a huge huge price tag, and he did not he didn't pay for it right away. He was he was kind of lackluster, but we're we're seeing someone that isn't doing the tone or Timo Werner isn't doing the Jordan Sancho where they come in from another league and they shit the bed consistently. He's actually finding himself in the Premier League, which is nice to see. He's got eight goals in his last eight games and seven in his last six. And six games in a row of scoring, though, like consistent. Mm -hmm. That's extremely impressive. And if you watch the game, his second goal was fun to watch. He just passed it with his chest right into the goal. And it looks like, oh, he got that lucky deflection. But you watch that goal slowly. That was fully anticipated and aimed at the net in the far post with his chest. It was one of the best goals I've seen that you don't usually see. You know, they have those stats about Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, like 400 goals with the left foot, 16 with the head. Like, I wonder how many they've scored with their chest. You know, that's, that's <laughs> going to go down. It's so, true. I, I think this is a player to watch. I feel like he's been siphoning the talent from Erling Holland because their names are so similar. And we'll see. I, I bet you he's going to decline as Holland starts to look up. Let's hope for that, right? I mean, they're going to be playing each other in, what, one week, two weeks? It's going to be a good one. Yeah, two weekends. Not this weekend, but the following, you have the Manchester Derby. So I think it's heating up just in time. With that fact that you rattled in there as well, six in the last six, he becomes the youngest English Premier League player to do it. He's on the list with Joe Willock, who is a 21 and a couple months older. You have uh, Thierry Henry on there. He's on with some good names on this list, but he does become the youngest English Premier League player to record six goals in six games. So, well, in a row, scoring in six continuous games, that is. So really exciting stuff for that. I think patience was the key for Erasmus. Uh, he came in and, like you said, kind of started off slow. He actually came in, couldn't play his first couple of games because of back injury. So I think that didn't help his his love for for a very challenged Red Devils team at the moment, but uh, he is going to be an exciting toddler talent to look forward to. I'm just going to keep using the toddler term, which is just rolling right off the tongue. But another congratulations, a big one in my books to Newcastle. You have now earned a spot on my fraud list and successfully eliminated yourself <laughs> from the top five contention with a 2-2 draw against the Cherries. Now, do you, either of you guys have a, Manche a Newcastle United fan that we can bring on here? Because I would I, love to bring someone on. I actually do. Uh, a kid that interned for me last summer is a, studied abroad in Newcastle and likes him. So, yeah, I could I could see if he's interested in coming on. But the way that they've been playing lately, I imagine he probably will. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be curious to see where his head was at at last season because to me right now they're being and we'll get into this as the season wraps up or after the season who was our biggest uh, disappointments or biggest shock and right now Newcastle's kind of holding the bag for me you know this was a big game like I mentioned to to everyone on last week's pod where if you win this you're still in the race but if you lose this or drop points in Manchester United that gap is now really you know kind of developed and created itself a little bit more challenging for Newcastle. However, one plus side for Newcastle, which gives you an opportunity to prove me wrong, is that based off of those averages of difficulty fixtures remaining, you do technically have the easiest one. So prove me wrong, but wait until this weekend's matchup is complete. We do have you guys, Arsenal versus Newcastle. It is, I believe it's home this time at the, at the Emirates Stadium. So hopefully we get a little bit of uh, redemption there, but we'll talk about that in the look ahead. The next one is big passion, big heart, big foolishness. What do you have for big Mason Holgate of Sheffield United, Kyle? Nothing but respect. I mean, <laughs> you guys ever <laughs> see the Karate Kid, the poster for it? 
it was that. It was awesome. But in reality, it was it was dangerous and terrible, and it should have been a red card. He should never do that again. He should be banned for a couple games. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, big game. His brain took over. He basically mid-air karate chopped his leg above the knee. Straight red card. No need to even check the AR. So, yeah, the only issue I have with that was that it was in the 11th minute. You're really fucking your team over when you do that. So you're gonna yeah. you're gonna do that stuff. Wait, wait until you're at least in late stages of the second half, or you know, wait till your name's just Mar- don't do oh, it. Ellis. How about you just no. you just don't destroy someone's possible career? Oh, and just let them favorite Matoma. Let them just walk yeah. right through you. No, you got to go for it. You got to try. <laughs> I mean, this is the Premier League here, the hardest league in the world. You're not just gonna, especially Matoma. I mean, that guy can dribble through three players. So you got to do what you got to do. But to be fair. It was zero zero. He gets the red. They they let up a, a onslaught of goals after that. So I guess that wasn't the best decision after all. Yeah, my my coach always used to say ball or player, but never both. But that was he took that one a little bit seriously, I think, on it. But like you said, it was an onslaught. Brighton won this five nothing. Sean, what's the big shout out here for Brighton? Because this was a kind of needed W and a needed, you know, emphasis W too. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely an emphatic W for them. Um, and I think it's the guy that we talked about last week um, who was in the team of the tournament at AFCON. We talked about his boost coming back to Brighton would bring, and it's Simon Adingra. I uh, scored a second-half brace in this one, um, which I, I just think between him and Matoma coming into form at the same time and returning to that lineup is huge for the Seagulls. Um, they've now scored 10 goals in less than 30 days against Sheffield United really just puts the nail into their uh, Premier League coffin. I don't know how many more games we need to get to before they're officially eliminated, but I can't imagine it'll be more than five or six before we see the uh, see the Blades get, get sent down. I just They just haven't really looked like a Premier League side at any point this year. Um, but I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Adingra coming back into form, and then, you know, Fazi, and now Julio and CISO coming shortly behind Brighton are another team. I know we talked about Tottenham in the past, but Brighton are another team who certainly hold the cards in, in the title race as well, having all three teams still you know, remaining, two of which are co- going to the Amex. So um, certainly a team that has a lot of importance down the stretch here um, and, and competing for the, that last spot in Europe with, with uh, Manchester United um, and then obviously Newcastle as well. Yep, only six points behind Manchester United in seventh place, and they're only one point ahead of Newcastle, who are in eighth place. So the, the goals are never a team to write off, and a great shout-out for Julio and Sesos coming back. He's been missed the entirety of the season, essentially. So it will be really interesting to see if they're able to pull some type of late, late-season strides. The only thing that I will say about Arsenal on this episode, other than their weak look ahead against Porto and Newcastle, is that they have extended their goal streak to 21 in the last five games while only giving up two. Uh, their 5-0 win over the feather side of Burnley marks our fifth, in, fifth win in a row in the year of 2024, which we have not opened up a season with five consecutive wins before. So, this squad breaking more records internally as well. Love to see that. Shout out to you, Kyle, because during the game this weekend, I did notice that the commentator, commentator, the commentators did call your name, Kyle Mansley, out specifically and said that last week during the English Premier League, state, the EPL State of Mind podcast, Kyle Mansley had mentioned something regarding Burnley's inability to build out from the back and the fact that they need to stop doing it because it's just not it. They did call that out, so I did think of you when when that was. And I was watching the game, and they just can't do it. They'll have one bright moment every once in a while where they do manage to string a few together, but they can't. You look at a team like Luton Town, they have a slightly more of ability to do it, but that's not their whole game plan. You know, they're very, let's get it up the pitch, let's get as much up into the final third as we can, and then as soon as the ball comes back our way, we'll kind of counter-press them as much as possible, try to prevent them from getting past that halfway line, but get it out of our spot. And I think that's where Burnley went wrong this season. So big shout-out to you. And I think the final shout-out goes to Sean, who who called this gentleman out when he first was awarded the, the gaffer position at Wolves, and it goes to Gary O'Neill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been unbelievable for them. Took over the team just three days before the season, and he's got them cooking they got a two-win victory, two-one, excuse me, victory 
over uh, Tottenham at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Thanks to a Zhao Gomez brace. His first two goals of the season. Um, and the second one is just kind of what we talked about throughout the year with Wolves. Um, their main man, Pedro Neto, picks up the ball on a corner, runs the length of the pitch, runs past Emerson Royale, cuts it back for Gomez to finish it. Um, and, and that made a difference in the game. Um, certainly, that goal it was on display, but both fullbacks for Spurs were missing in Pedro Poro and, and Destiny Udogi. Uh, without them, they just don't have the same threat going forward, and they're also not as strong defensively. So this is a big blow for them. Obviously, they're looking to get into that, that fourth spot. Um, they now trail Aston Villa by two points. Um, but again, another team we talked about, they have a stretch in late April where they play Arsenal, City, and Liverpool back-to-back-to-back. So um, them and Brighton, obviously, really could decide the title depending on how things shake out. Yeah, absolutely. If you are a Wolverhampton Wanderer, you're definitely keeping your fingers crossed. You are currently sitting two places higher than you finished last year and only six points away from your final point tally, too, which is relatively impressive with the amount of games that we have left. But like Sean mentioned, you do have, I think, the hardest schedule remaining. But... As far as express acknowledgments goes for the rapid kicks, I think that one kicked it off to the final one. And we'll be right back after this short break with segment three, which is the weekend look ahead, as well as Sean's chance to better himself on the lock of the week. We'll be right back. So this weekend, we have the final of James's most important. He places the highest emphasis of importance on this trophy, the Carabao Cup final between <laughs> Liverpool and Chelsea at Wembley Stadium. This is the third time these teams have faced off in a domestic cup final. Two seasons ago in 21-22, Liverpool and Chelsea had two stalemate nil-nil draws that Liverpool won on PKs. Um... Unfortunately for both teams, there's a lot of injuries, and we will not be seeing the best of, of either team. Um, obviously, Liverpool got Mo Salah back this weekend against Brentford, and then they immediately lost Curtis Jones and Diogo Jota to injuries, who were both ruled out for the final. Trent Alexander-Arnold is also out for this final, um, and, and Allison Becker as well, but he likely would have been benched anyways. Um, from a Chelsea perspective of things, obviously they're building confidence. They've played well. For the most part of late, obviously the big performance against Manchester City, they'll be without Reese James, Mark Cucurea, Romeo Lavia, and then potentially getting Robert Sanchez back between the pipes and Thiago Silva as well. Um, it should be a really difficult game. I, I think Liverpool just edge it for me. Obviously, I'm incredibly biased. I'm, I think I'm going to go for a 2-1 victory. The one thing I just wanted to mention, because we were talking about European places before, and next week we'll go into more depth on this. If Chelsea win this game, there's only six spots up for grabs uh, for European places throughout the league because the winner of the Carabao Cup gets the bid into the Europa Conference League. Now, for the most part, the last several years, the team that's won the Carabao Cup was already in the top four, You know, whether it was City, whether it was Liverpool, uh, Manchester United last year. However, um, obviously, Chelsea does not look like they're going to finish in a European spot, so... That would have major implications for teams like, um, you know, Newcastle, Brighton, et cetera, who are looking to obviously make it back into Europe next year. Um, so just something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, the, this matchup, two, I think you said it was two years ago when mm -hmm. they faced off of each other, was super entertaining with a, a penalty shootout going 21-22 to 22, in which it went through all their players and got down to the last kick, which was the goalkeepers. Yep. Um, so really, really entertaining as far as, and I remember the game as far as a zero, zero draw goes, it was also extremely entertaining. It wasn't these guys sitting back and forth, uh, waiting for one person to come down. It wasn't very possession based. It was very counter, counter punch, counter punch, counter punch. And I expect the same thing on this one, especially with how, um, how uh, Chelsea have been playing as of late, and especially with the injuries that Liverpool have, they're just going to try to ram everything down your throat, counter-press the shit out of you, make sure that you don't get out of your own half because of the injuries they have, don't necessarily have the, the greatest ability to possess the ball. Um, I will be very curious to see how the, the central 
players, how the midfield really match up in this one, just because, like you said, uh, Sean, you're probably going to have uh, McAllister in the middle. You still are out with, without Sobislai. You're probably without Nunez. Uh, Jota is a big miss there, too. And the biggest one that I think we all weren't anticipating is Curtis Jones. He's really been quite the glue through all these injuries, being able to keep everyone a little bit more together. So I think that one will be a bit more of a painful loss or miss than than we had would have originally thought at the beginning of the season. I think this one goes 2-2 with Liverpool winning in PKs, but we'll see. No, I was just going to say, I think you make a really good point on Curtis Jones. If you look at Liverpool's record since kind of the turn of form at the end, the back half of last season, it's no coincidence that Curtis Jones started to, to start um, regularly, and he's, you know, to the point you made about their counterpress, he's the guy who really initiates it and launches it, works hard. He, you know, knows he's got the most experience in that midfield, believe it or not, for a 22-year-old. Um, in terms of what, what your Klopp wants tactically um, from his midfielder, so he certainly would be a big loss. But uh, I agree with you. I think you made a really good point. That game, the 0-0, the, this game in particular, the Carabao Cup final, I think both teams had multiple goals called off or offsides. Um, mostly, as my friend Eric Smith would like to say, because of Romelu Lukaku's big bunda getting in the way. Um, <laughs> but it, it should be a good one. I, I think, like you said, will be difficult. Um, see if I can sneak into Mulligans, although my record of late, I might have to, to switch it up and go into the city to watch this one. Yeah, this is Sunday, right? So we might be we might be just recovering from a, a Saturday night outing as well. So let's make that trek oh. in. We can we can figure that one out. I'll go yeah. to where is it? It's, um, Irish American, right? Yep. Is the is the big one? Carragher's. Yep. Yeah. Down in uh, financial district. Yep. If you haven't been there before, it's they got a fantastic boot room. But Kyle, what what's your take on this? Uh yeah, I just I just don't think Chelsea scores too. I I think they're going to struggle to score. They have six, six, five, three shots on target in the last couple games. I, I watched the city game and it was Chelsea was attacking. They were breaking this, that, the other. They missed so many chances, man. Like yeah. it, it's especially going up against the team like Liverpool, who is struggling a little bit on both sides, offense and defense. I think the Liverpool midfield is controlling this game. I, I don't think that Chelsea is going to be that big a threat. I think it's, you know, maybe a three one win to Liverpool. I think you just got to watch the break. That's it. I mean, Chelsea is good, very good at the counter. They're just very bad at finishing the counter. So, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And it's they're going true. up against arguably the best goalie in the Premier League right now. Probably not arguably. I think it's pretty clear Allison's number one, whether or not he plays this game. But but he's, yeah, he's he's not going to play. So, ah. uh, Kelleher, Cueben Kelleher is the carabao cup goalie anyway so the game that you were talking about that went to pence he actually scored the winning pen against keppa yeah um so this is kind of his competition and and allison's hurt anyways but i think um likely the kelleher would have started regardless this and the the europa league maybe we'll see it might be different than the knockout stages but those are pretty much his two competitions and then allison takes the fa cup and obviously the league. yeah I, I would put a, a little bit more emphasis on on that unfortunateness i mean when you have a number two goalie you typically always have them as the domestic cup goalies. That's part of their like, hey, you're doing a really good job, not complaining, you're number two. It's very difficult to overturn a number one. So the Premier League coaches typically use this as an opportunity to give them that that playing time and show their stuff. But if you look at the finishes that Chelsea were not able to put away, mainly the ones that Ederson saved over the weekend, they were world-class saves. I mean, he did very good job. He, that's why, you know, everyone complains about him being in one of the best goalies in the world because he doesn't see a lot of action. He doesn't, not with the defense that Man City has, but the action he does see, he positions himself very properly. He comes out strong. He comes out hard. And then the foot save that he had against, I forget who got a last-second touch on that rebound. I think it was to put Jackson. It in there. I, mean, I think it was Jackson. Great save. Yeah, great save. Yep. Reflexes of a fucking cat on that one. I mean, it was so fast. And then that cleared out, went out for a corner or a goal kick, and, and Man City went up the field. So having Kelleher in there with the ability that Chelsea has is going to be interesting to see if it actually is a factor. But I think regardless, we're going to get an entertaining game. I think it's either going to be a blowout on one side or a close 2-2, like I said, or 2-1, like Sean said, for sure. One of the only 
other kind of really close or entertaining games that we have on the docket for this weekend is Arsenal versus Newcastle at Emirates Stadium. If you remember, the reverse fixture was early on in the season with Newcastle's controversial one nothing win over the Gunners. If you don't remember me bitching and moaning for three weeks about this, this is when Gabriel was pushed in the back from, I believe, it was it Joe Linton or was it? Uh, I think yeah, it, was it was Joe Linton. Linton. I think it was Linton. Or, uh, and and Jorginho got fist hammered across the face by Gumaris. And, you know, it was, it, it was an intense, very close game. So hopefully this one um, can be less scandalous as Arteta called it. But the Magpies have been struggling a lot lately. Uh, and they have recently, as you heard, made it to my fraudulent list. So it's a, a very promising home game for the Gunners to solidify that, hey, you know, the first fixture was a mishap. We're on this streak. We're going to keep it going against another team that has been doing relatively well and earlier in the season and last season. I think this is a good statement game. I don't think it's, you know, I need to raise any flags because the Magpies also sit 13th in a way fixture on the table. So on the way fixture table, they currently sit in 13th place, which is not a good spot to be, which is not a good spot to be. Um, and then Sean, you have a great fact here that the Magpies have actually been scoreless in their last eight trips to Emirates. So that's also not a great one. And the worst part about that is you're also without your top three choices for your strikers. Isaac's gone. I think you just got uh, Murphy back. But you don't have you don't have Isaac, you don't have Wilson, and you don't have uh, Willock still. So, pretty much your 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 choices. I mean, they used I think they used Anthony Gordon in the central of the pitch at the forward part over the weekend, which you know I think he set up a penalty kick, which went well, um, or he scored a goal. I think something yeah, like that. Yeah, I didn't watch the game. He scored a penalty, um, but it's going to be a close one. It's an important game for Arsenal, obviously. And the one thing that's going for you if you're a Newcastle fan is Arsenal does have a midweek fixture, which is the round of 16 Champions League game away in Portugal versus Porto. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of comes off of that game. It's a three-game turnaround. We have a three o'clock slot on Saturday for this game. So it'll be interesting. The only other one that we kind of highlighted here was Brentford versus, Brentford versus West Ham at London Stadium. So we have another London Derby coming up. What do we think about this one, guys? And and let's start with you, Sean, and then Kyle, you can kind of put your input on this. I just thought this is really interesting, is that because of City's makeup, which is a game against Brantford, which is tomorrow because of their time at the Club World Cup, Chelsea's participation in, in the Carabao Cup final, and then this game, three different Premier League teams have their next fixture against Brantford, uh, which is definitely a strange thing. Two teams for me that are in poor form, but I think more of it has to do with uh, Brentford running into City, Tottenham, and Liverpool in the last four weeks or so versus West Ham has just been pretty pretty shocking, honestly. Um, since the start of the new year, they had the least amount of goals scored with just three. So you could say there's an iron deficiency uh, up front. <laughs> um, but we can see two players, I think, come back who are exciting to watch at Paqueta and, and Brian and Wemo. Kyle, I know you you mentioned as as the guy who was the standout player for Brentford for the through the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, this is just tough for Brentford. They had, you know, like Sean mentioned, City, Wolves, and Liverpool their last three games. And their next three games are City, West Ham, Chelsea. And those next three games are including the Liverpool game. So they have Liverpool, City, West Ham, and Chelsea all in a two-week span for the most part. That's tough. And then, you know, they they get a break. They get a week-long break, then they come back and play Arsenal and Burnley, and then it's Brighton, United, Brighton, and Villa. This is an insanely difficult next eight games for for, Bright, for Brentford, I'm sorry. And they are five points clear of relegation right now. I, yep, you know, They're, they're going to beat Burnley. I do think that happens in three weeks. But other than that, there is a very, very good chance that Brentford goes one and eight in their next nine games. And that's just, they have a hard fucking schedule. City, West Ham, Chelsea... Arsenal, Brighton, United, Brighton, Villa. Eight of their next nine opponents. Wow. So, yeah, this this could be, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel for Luton because out of all the teams right now currently in relegation, you got Sheffield and Burnley at 13 points, and then you got Luton and Everton at 20, and Brentford sits at 25. I don't think Everton's in that big the shit house right now because of the point deduction. I think they're strong enough to get out of that zone. But a team like Luton, who's been playing very well lately, they might overtake Brentford at this point in the next two to three months. So I think this these next nine games for Brentford are going to be some of the biggest in the 
maybe the history of the club. You know, this this is going to decide if they stay in the Premier League or not this year. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. And you know, it's it's not going to be an easy win for them by any means. West Ham's is no joke, but this is one of those that they need to win or else they are in big trouble. Yeah, unless unless the English Premier League actually do further point deduction to Everton or Nottingham Forest, I think it's a it's not too far-fetched for to see Brentford really fighting for their place. I know we were talking about Brentford when they first came in, was it three three years ago, that the, their first game was against Arsenal and they beat them, and then they carried on the rest of the season doing very well. They did the double over Manchester City last year. Yeah. So, like, what is what is happening in the Beehive? <laughs> beehive. I'm sorry, that was really <laughs> no, bad. That's a good one. I like that. I like that what's, one. What, what's happening in the oh, Beehive right fantastic. now, man? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it is, it's unfortunate. And the team form for West Ham has been atrocious. But I don't think we've seen them lose more than three games in a row this season. This is their coldest streak of the season. And it, they're, they're due a bounce back. So uh, this would be this would be an interesting game. I know they're away, uh, West Ham to Brentford at G Tech Community Stadium, but we'll but we'll see what happens here. The only other game, uh, and we've kind of alluded to it very briefly. The only other game that would have been worthy of a mention here would have been the Chelsea versus Spurs, the real London derby. I think we were going to look forward to, but again, the Carabao Cup final being Liverpool Chelsea. This game is now postponed. Otherwise, this game would have been at Stamford Bridge. Um, so. For me, this is something just to keep in the back of your mind as a Spurs fan. Uh, the makeup date is going to be crucial to see where they plug this into in your run-in, right? Because we only have, what, 14 games left, 13 games left. Where they put this in is going to be extremely either frustrating or or needed. Uh, Spurs, you do have a kind of one of the most difficult fixtures out of the big, you have the most difficult fixture out of the known big six less left. And if they were to plug this in, in this stretch right here. So you still, as a Spurs fan, you still have a way at Villa, but then in order you have Newcastle away, which is a difficult game to play. I think Newcastle is top five in home games this season. you are home to City, and you have their number typically, but City are going to be pressing for the title, and it's going to be closer, so you, you can't say that's a typical win for Spurs. You have Arsenal home, who will also be pressing for this title, who have done well against you guys as a fight, and then you have Liverpool away, which you should just chalk that up as an L, unless the other half of Liverpool teams get an injury. So you're going to have a very tough stretch there, and if this game were to somehow make its way into that run, you're going to have a very congested, very difficult fixture list right there. So just keep that in mind because you are pressing for top four and you don't have it. It's definitely not in the bag yet. And that gap because of your loss this weekend over uh, to the Wolves has made it that much more challenging. So that would have been it. But with the actual games that we have this week, Sean, what is your lock of the week? Oh, fellas, it has been a fight. And a grind all year from our lock of the week. It is grim. It's more like don't call it a lock, whatever the opposite yeah. is. You know, I I think uh, I think James's predictions last week and the lack of confidence in real time. It was it was a bad omen for things to come. I don't think either of your picks ended up working out right. Breaking Only per- English Borman. Premier League wise, they both tied. So I picked Newcastle over the cherries which is why they're part of my fraud list and then my backup or the one i was between was everton over crystal palace because crystal palace are feathers as well and they tied to a one one the only absolutely the only one that doesn't even count that i was 100 sure of was that psg you should throw your mortgage on in that champions league game and they won by two so that was my only comment but it doesn't count it's only close if it's on horseshoes right hand grenades so (laughs) (laughs) what do you what do you have, Sean? Please bring us redemption. Uh, I'm hoping to. I'm certainly hoping to. So the team that I picked is a team that's in great form right now. We talked about them earlier with Rascals Hoyland. It's Manchester United. They take Fulham on at home at Old Trafford this weekend. They're minus 185, and I know you're going to say, oh, what a chalky pick. Well, you look around the Premier League this weekend. Tell me which game it gives you better odds because just as an example, Brighton's minus 205. Uh, Aston Villa's minus 195. So this is actually one of the better games, I think. Um, you know, United seem to have turned it around of late, certainly playing a lot better football. Um, they 
and no disrespect to Fulham because, you know, they've shown in the past that they can take points off the big teams. You know, they beat Arsenal earlier this year. Um, but they're just kind of in okay form. One win in their last five. Um, coming off a 2-1 loss to Villa. I just think this is a game that, that United should win. Um, make their first five-game winning streak of the season. So that is my pick. I'm looking to get to three and four, which is just horrendous to say. <laughs> we all have some bad luck. But I know a bunch of Man U fans that listen to the pod right now are probably like, Sean, you fucking son of a bitch. You probably just jinxed it. But <laughs> hear me out, Sean. I think you're, you should be in safe company because there's no way anyone thinks that Man U lose this game because Man U have never lost to Fulham before. Oh, wow. I don't know if you knew that. They uh, are currently 14-3-0 against Fulham. So that... <laughs> I mean, this is now lining up to be one of the biggest disappointments of a lock of the week if it were to to not hit. So hopefully we can get some perspective on that by the end of the week. Next weekend, we can actually have a, you know, a celebratory W for at least one of us. Kyle, you sit two and five. I am two, four, and one again with an act of cowardice. And then Sean, two and four. <laughs> I, yeah, there have been asterisks on that one. Hey, I, I'm I'm owning up to it. I'm saying the I'm saying the cowardice, but we'll uh, we'll hopefully get a little bit more momentum going in the second half of the season. Although, or the last run in, but it gets even harder to determine who is going to come out on top on this last bit of stretch because everyone's fighting for something most of the time. But. With that being said, we all fight to see another week. Hopefully, we get some exciting Champions League and Europa League fixtures this week. I know Liverpool, because you won your league or your your group stage, you won't have a midweek fixture this week, and you're waiting to see who your opponent is. But Arsenal will be in the Champions League for the first time in too long, and I'm looking forward to that game on Wednesday. Other than that, I think everyone enjoys their week and the rest of the weekend that they have, and we'll talk to you after it all. So EPL CMI, signing out.